I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. And you're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Herpeticulture Network. No, you're not. Okay. Excellent. Off to a good start. I love your crickets in the background. Very rustic. Can you, like, is it bad? No, it sets like an ambiance. They're, like, screaming outside of the garage door, and it's killing me. Can you hear my sirens? No. Okay, good, because they are not setting the ambiance by me. Yours are warm. And summary. What's going on? Chilling. Looks like they can't stick to their own schedule. Guess I'll be unfollowing. Please, Keller. I Wait, how, dare how late were we? 32 seconds? Uh... I guess two minutes. I don't I don't know. Some people How is that how uh, is that possible? Party. Two minutes. I don't know. It says it's nine oh two. Nine oh two. What? Oh wow, look at that. Yeah, we were talking for a minute sixteen, so that doesn't count. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, here we are. Here we are. This is episode one hundred and sixty four of Snakes and Stogies. Brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram, Phil's already frozen. And to fix that, if we all collectively go to order from Blackbox to unfreeze Phil, use the code THN at checkout. Save yourself a little bit of money. Whether it's Facebook or Instagram or their website, check them out. If you have any questions, please email, message on any platform. Uh, and we will be glad to help point you in the right direction and get you get you squared away. Uh, and then, hey, Puget Sound Pythons, look at them right there in the chat there. Uh, also, go and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Go find them on Morph Market, depending on how you feel about Morph Market currently. Uh, and follow them, because they're good people. And they are getting married in like two weeks crazy it's gone by so quick it's just like when other when like when other people have eggs in an incubator it seems like you blink and they're hatching but when you have eggs in the incubator it feels like the longest wait ever time flies when you're in love it does it flies when you're having fun that is true so um, really bummed that we couldn't make it out there. We really wanted to, um, you know, just sister-in-law's wedding is coming up here soon. That happened and just wasn't in the cards, unfortunately, but we do want to get out there at some point. We do want to get out there and visit. My parents are actually on a cruise in Alaska right now and it looks freaking sweet. Not that that's the same thing, but that general Very close. corner of the, of the globe. Did they fly uh, into Seattle gnarly, and so. take the ship out? Uh, and then, shameless plug, Fulvius Apparel. You can see it right here on my left titty. Uh, website website is up, fulviusapparel.com. 
Uh, I think they did. Am I now freezing? Uh-oh. Can... Is there anybody in there? Did you did you see is it me you or is it go me? black? I, I think it's both of us actually, because I fizzle. Can you hear me? If you can hear me and you're in the chat. Can you hear no. me, Justin? Justin cannot hear me. No. No, he cannot. Well, my system says it's working fine. And there he goes. Billy Jenkins says he can hear both of us. Wonderful. Looks like it's going to be a very interesting night, children. Patrick says he can hear and see us both. Now, I lost Smitty. Wonderful. Well, the ticker's still going on my end. Yes, Billy Jenkins, we cannot hear each other. I can't see Smitty. He just went black on me, so... With the little spinny thing. And it looks like it's my show now. <laughs> All alone. But yes, the Pacific Northwest um, is amazing. And the Gendra just adds so much to it. Um, I've never herped the Pacific Northwest. But from what I gather, it is a very unique ecosystem in a very unique type of animals that reside there. I know the Gendra just found their first rattlesnake in, I guess, Washington, which I thought was pretty awesome. That's a, that's a milestone right there. Um, but, it, but it's just beautiful country. It, whether you're going on an Alaskan cruise or you're going to see Seattle or just, you know, visit, you know, the Pacific Northwest, the, the, the Puget sound, I highly recommend you do it. I've done it once and it was an awesome trip. I mean, I was a little younger. I was with my family and, uh, it was good, man. It was good. <sighs> well, tonight, I'm smoking, just to get under Smitty's skin, I am smoking yet another Gurkha cigar. Now, I can't remember. Someone correct me, because not to sound cocky, but we do so many of these videos. I can't remember if I smoked this one on air or not. And it may have even been last week. I've just been out of it. Um, so this is the Gurkha Royal Challenge. I think I smoked this two episodes ago. But this is a, a, a rather lighter colored leaf. Look at that guy. Look at him with his kukuri. Um, Royal Challenge, it's a lighter leaf. It's very much a uh, wannabe Connecticut. I'm pretty sure it is Nicaraguan, Nicaraguan. Um, there might be Connecticut in there. Correct me if I'm wrong. Go Google. I did not do my homework. Look at me. Um. But yeah, I'm excited for this one too. I bought three of these and I've already smoked two of them. And I just can't remember if I did it two weeks ago or if I did it off air. I don't remember. But yeah, we um we had a, a good show for tonight. Um, Smitty recently went to some kind of, I guess it was a zoo with his family. And then he also went to some research facilities too. And Smitty is restarting his modem. He just texts me. Oh, there he is. And you're back and clear. I am good. I had to restart my modem. Well, that's perfect timing because I just got done talking about the Gurkha Royal Challenge that I'll be smoking. Do you remember? Did I smoke that two weeks ago? On I air? think so. Yeah, you've had it I a couple I times. I think I did. I think I did. In recent memory. Yes. Um, but I was just telling them we have a fun show for tonight. Um, I didn't give them the gist of what we're going to be talking about, but I mentioned that you'd gone to a zoo and you'd gone to 
Well, explain the um, the Leslie Boyer Foundation and, and where you went today or yesterday, whenever it was. Well, before things and got all squirrely, smoke, please. I had to mention Fulvius Apparel. Shameless plug. Oh, Website shameless is now plug. up. FulviusApparel.com. And then I decided, because it's like an official sort of launch thing, if you order, I'm going to let it go for probably the next, for this week. Use the code LAUNCH at checkout and get 15% off your order. Nice. So if you've been wanting some shirts, now's the time. Got a, I got a handful of designs I still got to upload and like add to the inventory and stuff. It's been it's been a process, but I'm, I'm getting pretty close to having everything where I want it. Um, let's see. So check that out. Also follow it on Facebook and Instagram. Por favor, help your boy out. Uh, probably get back into the swing of doing some giveaways and stuff here soon. And uh, I am smoking the Southern Draw Kudzu this evening. Haven't had one in a while. I was like, walked in. Uh was like you know i need i want to smoke something different because i feel like i've been smoking a lot of the same stuff lately and i was like i haven't had a southern draw in a minute let me go ahead and grab a kudzu and we'll do that so it's tasty smoke southern draw does good stuff i like it still no retic design dude i have a list i have a list of designs to either i have like stuff that's still in the like i'm still working on like actively i don't know how many different files of that i have and then i have a laundry list of other stuff i want to do so slowly because i'm doing this like pretty much 100 percent by myself as far as like designs website socials printing a lot of that stuff uh i am i am putting in the hours so it's coming can't can't give you everything all at once then what would be the they would lose its mysticism i feel like you the know? retake would be a good uh candidate for the head the head shot like you did for the morelia obviously the carpet has that quintessential skull and crossbones you know head pattern head stamp but i feel like a retake head would be real good with the pits and everything yeah yeah i've got some ideas and usually like I'll think of an idea for like a design and I'll write it down on my phone, like on my notepad. So for future, uh, you know, when I, when I sit down to work on stuff, I'll go through my phone and see what I've put down, but I know you're messing with me. It's good fall full five time, five full time jobs. Um, yeah. And then I'm actually, you know, I do do a little bit of logo work. If for anybody interested, nothing crazy. So I'm I'm definitely no Adeline Robinson or Noah Bounds or Donovan Winterberg or anything like that. But if you're looking for something sort of on the simpler side, nothing too crazy, hit me up. And then if you're looking for shirts, just if you already have a logo and you're you know you have a, a side gig, be it snake related or not, and you need shirts for it or hats, hit me up. Uh, I am going to start advertising that more so on the Fulvia stuff as well because I can still do those through work. Um, so I'll just kind of be a conduit for that. Just 
get in touch with me and I'll give you the contact information for my work email. And that's where we will conduct all of that. So if there's any interest there, hit me up. Um, but yeah, I was off today. Uh, we had a, we officially have a 10 year old. So we surprised her by taking her to the Riverbank Zoo, which is up in Columbia here in South Carolina. Uh, it's a fantastic zoo. They recently did. Um, I still have it, Matt. I'll send it to you. Like I still, I save it all, so I still have that. I will get it to you asap. Um, <clears throat> I draw decent snakes. I don't know. I don't. This, that's kind of the funny thing is like I don't draw nothing. Secrets. Uh, went to the Riverbank Zoo. It was really good. Surprised Ellie. Uh, basically, like got her up and ready and made her seem think she was going to school because she's still in school. Uh, and then playing hooky. Drove right past school to go pick up a friend who was going with us who's out of school. And she uh, she was surprised. You know, we we swapped out all her stuff in her backpack with like some snacks for the road and like some stuff for them to do for the drive because it's you know probably two two and a half hour drive up there um and a change of clothes because we made her work like she she got dressed like she was going to school and everything like she didn't know at all that we were we were taking her there so uh she was surprised we got up there and the uh i haven't been up there since i think the last time i was there was probably like seven-ish years ago because i think ellie was like three when we first went and i think me and katie hadn't been dating terribly long at that point maybe a year or so in i think um and within the last like couple of years they've done some renovations to their their reptile house um which is also it's sort of split between like a, a reptile facility and an aquarium so they have like an aquarium half and then a reptile half uh and so, like, I think we had talked about going at one point a while back, but I was like, well, I mean, if, if the reptile house is closed, like, what's the point? Because, let's be honest, that's why all of us go to the zoo. Um, but that was finished not that long ago, so we went and checked that out. Um, and it's awesome. It wasn't, so it's, it's like, the same building, and some of the stuff is still the same layout. They made some, like, they, they changed probably about, a quarter to maybe a half of it was renovated. Um, and they've got, they've got a pretty awesome collection. They've got some, uh, some Bolins and, um, the Montevipera Wagner. Eye. That's I don't cool. Even remember what the, what the common name for those was it's pretty cool. Um, some Kings, King Cobras, all three species of tree monitor, which I thought was cool. The black, green, and blue. Very cool. Um, some really cool displays with those. They got some Bushmasters. They had some Ackies, nice. which I thought was neat. Um, they had like a an open top, big out like semi outdoor like sunroom display with some ornate euros in it, which nice. was neat because there was a big group of those. Um, they had a display that had a Gila and a Chuckwalla, which that Chuckwalla was cool. I think that's the first time I've really like stopped and looked at one. And it was a decent size, and I was actually really surprised. Like, people don't really keep those, do they? No, not really. 
was a big old carrot tail. Yeah. Nice. Well, I consider it like that thing's cool. Yeah, there and and from what I gather, if you have wild caught smuggled ones or whatever, you caught one in your yard or whatever, they're not friendly. They're very rambunctious, very defensive. Um, you almost never see them in captivity. Those ones that are very wild. Um, but captive bred stuff when I have seen them, which is very few and far between, they were super cool, man. They were like beardies. Um, I don't think they're as dare I say domesticated as beardies, but very Euromastic ish. Um, I thought they had a little more personality. All the Euromastics people are going to hate me now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I considered getting them for a while because I do, I just, they're awesome. And it, I never even thought about it until my first Arizona trip uh, back, oh God, many moons ago. And you couldn't get within like 60 yards. Really? Yeah. Because the minute you got within like 50, 60 yards, boom, gone. Yeah, and they're gone. into a cavern, puffed up. You're never going to get them out. Mm-hmm. Um, but right after that, Underground had a bunch of ones that somebody, hatched out and they were so cool but the more i dug into husbandry i realized that although i keep a lot of hot desert stuff they were not for me they, they, they like the yeah. the centicolis of lizards is that um I, I don't know i never kept them you know but from what i gathered it was more euromastic-y than i imagined and mm-hmm. i wasn't I, I i couldn't do them justice i couldn't care for them the you. way they need to be cared for so yeah, I mean, it was a decent-sized lizard. Um, I think they just had the one in there. I didn't see any more, but there could have been like one. Like the length of your farm? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was a decent-sized size lizard. and I've seen pictures of them, and I've seen video of them. I, I may have seen one in person at some point or another, you know, at a show or something. But seeing that one, man, he was just chilling on a branch, just hanging out. And I was like, that's actually a really cool lizard. Nice. And I've always heard about them. I know you've talked about them in the past. Um, yeah. You know, I know some of the people we know that have gone out herping in that that area have seen them, and you know it was cool. Um, That's cool, man. They have a pretty cool display of eyelash vipers. Nice. They had no atheris, which was kind of a bummer. Uh, they used to have a pretty cool display like puff adders and stuff too, and that changed with the remodel. I don't know what happened. If maybe they just decided to take them off display and switch it up or you know who knows but they had a couple like native displays so they had something that was more like coastal with eastern diamondbacks in it had a couple pine snakes uh i think a glass lizard was in there somewhere that's cool. and then another one that was a little more like upstate type so it had timbers which i have to mention so the southern one with that had the easterns in it or like the coastal one had cane breaks on the plaque for the damn like what's in this thing yeah crotalus atricodatus nice right there hell yeah and right next door was timbers crotalus horridus and i got That's pictures awesome. of it and i was like finally it's like it to see a, an institution i want to believe see it and go yes that's there are two things. I loved it. I was very excited to see that. That's awesome. Uh, That's then with the timbers, they had some. They had a handful of corns. They had a copperhead in there somewhere, which I tried to find and couldn't see it. Go figure. Uh, and then they had a cool like paladarium, like giant paladarium setup with two cottonmouths in it. Um, and then so I guess something I don't remember them ever being a big Europlatus facility in terms of like what they're working with and focused on. 
in terms of like SSPs and stuff. Uh, but they have a big Europlast collection. Really? With a big focus on Henkelai. And then they had some Fimbriatus. I'm assuming they had they had Satanic somewhere because I so the, the kind of the issue was is like there's this wall that has all these cages on it with different species and stuff. And some of them had like Fimbriatus and more Fimbriatus and then some Henkelai or something else. And um, but they didn't label any of them. So like Unless really? you were someone like me who kind of knew what you were looking at. Sure, sure. No one's going to, they're going to see them and think they're all the same. So, I mean, did it say like lined leaf tail gecko no. or like giant leaf Nothing. tail gecko? Not a, oh, wow. not a letter of text. Interesting. Uh, but they had some day geckos. They had a standings, a couple standings, which were really cool. Um, those smaller neon ones. Which ones are those? The little, little ones. Like the T um, tiny? Clemmeri. Clemmeri. Yep, they had some Clemmeri, which was cool, because I don't think I've seen those in person, That's out, cool. you know, outside of shows. Um, big old thing of, like, hissing cockroaches, which was neat. Nice. Um, so they have a big focus on on Europlatus, which I think is really neat. Um, to where, the, like, even the new sort of building sign outdoors now says has, like, a Europlatus on it, you know. So it's pretty cool to see them going into that because that's such a cool genus i mean that's that's hands down one of my favorite gecko genre around uh and then you can see into the back room because they have like a glass door right there and so as i was you know walking by i look in there and there's a lady in there cleaning and she's <laughs> she's like elbow deep in this cage trying to like wipe things down and clean it and there's this this freaking fimbriatus or something just right there on the side of the cage just like gaping and ready to absolutely just light her up <laughs> That's and you awesome. see her just like stare, like staring at it, like, dude, come on, man, I'm just trying to, just trying to do my job. And that thing's like puffing up, and it's turning white, and like just getting all kinds of upset. I was hilarious. That's I showed awesome. Katie; she thought it was, she was laughing too. And I, the lady didn't see us, but we were standing like right behind her, just watching and cackling because that so thing just cool. wanted to murder her. So cool. Um, but you know they had a, a gaboon display that they've had forever that didn't change it had two decent sized gaboons in it and then it has a, a western green mamba in it that was a really big western green nice um, to the point where i'm like i'll bet you that thing's a, a handful cuz that ain't a small small snake <laughs> um even though i really think and maybe you could chime in on this that i, I think i would rather deal with a, an adult mamba than like a yearling mamba. I mean, it depends on what you mean by deal with, you know, like work with have to I, have to move, have to, you know, I, w I would rather have a small one because it's just, it's just smaller. And, and even though it's more nimble and more high speed, it's, it has a less chance of reaching me. If you get yeah. my drift. So personal preference. Greetings, the cannon. Hello. The, I have no idea what we're talking about. Everything. Small and nimble is kind of my thing, so I agree. Hey oh. Hey oh. <laughs> Smithy was just telling us about his wonderful zoo experience today. Ooh, okay. But go, go on, Smithy. Yeah. Uh, they had a bunch of tortoises too, so they had some some Burmese blacks, which was really neat. Nice. Uh, some just massive galops. Some stars, some salcatas. Maybe I saw some redfoots. No conixes? I don't know. 
No Conexus. Damn. Which one's this? It's a fucking shame. Riverbanks. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, you went to like uh, a major herb zoo then. Yeah, yeah. It's um, they've they've done some remodeling as of recently in the reptile building, and it's pretty neat. So, um, they had a like when you go out. So they they have it sort of divided up by sections. You know, you walk in to the like the main entrance to the building there, and it's uh like those native displays, the Europlatus, and then sort of off to the right is your your tree monitors and some of the other more tropical stuff like an anaconda display uh and then you walk through and it takes you through like the aquarium section and then it takes you to like an outdoor sunroom type deal and that's got a lot of their desert stuff so it had blackheads it had ackies um they had this big like corner room size display with a bunch of atrox uh a ruber some mojaves and they said they had an Arizona black in there, but I looked for it and couldn't find it, which I was kind of bummed about because I really wanted to see see that. Um, That's a lot of venomous, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I feel like they used to have, like I said, they used to have a ton of puffs. and They had this big display, and they had one of the most interesting puffs I've ever seen. And that thing was there for years. And I guess they just did away with, with puffs entirely because they just didn't have them anymore uh, on display. So. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it was really neat. Um, would have loved to see sort of what was going on in the back, you know, what they had working back there that they didn't have open to the public. Uh, they had some dart frogs, kind of your bread and butter, you know, Azurius and Luke's. Um, Bushmasters, they had two Bushmasters. Northern Emerald Tree Boa, a small little Aru green tree. Um, they used to have rhino rats. They didn't have the rhino rats anymore, which is a bummer. They had some rhino vipers. Nice. Uh, so they, they uh, had a good, a, a, a good collection of everything from around the world. Yeah. Yeah, everything's pretty well represented. Um, you know, like Jacksonville Zoo is different to where they have it divided up by like continent so they have like an africa section where there's a reptile house there they have an like a south america amazon section that has its own reptile house you know it's kind of divided um so it's it's pretty neat they uh you know it's all just kind of there in one spot they have a section like a koala building that they used to have a green tree display in they still have the display there but there wasn't any green trees in it i don't know if they just moved them or what but um other than that, it was kind of your typical zoo stuff. Um, you know, lions, tigers, and bears, giraffes, baboons, gorillas. Which would seeing those, you, would you those... say? Would you say that they have more reptiles than they do non-reptiles? No, because they're also big on birds. Like that's a big bird zoo. Okay. Like the the, the avian side of things, you can tell that's a big that's a big part of. Yeah, they're the first to have bred a few species of birds. Like a couple mm-hmm. toucans and stuff, Riverbank Zoo was one of the first to breed. And, and also, a, like a lot a of cool... captive pythons and boas, like the first ones were at Riverbank Zoo, and then like a lot of them came into captivity via Riverbank Zoo, selling off their surplus. Huh. Like I know there's yeah. a line of diamond pythons from there. I think some of the old chondro lines are from there. And I also, like, don't quote me on this, I think some of the Sanzinia in captivity came through riverbanks 
but I don't remember that for sure. I'd be interested cool. to know sort of what the how the decisions are made as to like what stays and what goes. Like, why would you decide to get rid of puff adders aside from I guess them being really nothing that needs any sort of you know, it's not endangered by any means. It's not a species that's hurting. It's not something that really yeah. in the grand scheme of raising awareness about, you know, puff hatters aren't very high on that list. So um, they do have a little like side building that is, they have some like aviaries in it that you can't even see, but that's where like their incubators are and where like where they hatch stuff. And then you can see into each room in that building from the outside, like outdoors. And so you see like some, they had some, I think some hatchling like lorikeets um and you see like their incubators and then there's like the rearing room and then there's like the room where they feed everything and food prep and stuff it's pretty cool so <clears throat> it's neat yeah it's super cool super it's good cool. i highly recommend it yeah i want to check it out just from you telling me about it that's pretty awesome i feel like a lot of times uh when you see an animal that was on display for a long time disappear. I don't necessarily always think it, it, people who are listening, who work in zoos, please correct me. I don't feel like they got rid of them for one reason or another, other than they got something better to display. You know, they were waiting for this one particular species and it finally became available. Well, guess what? Puff editors, you get bumped, you know? Right. Right. Well, the AZA does have a lot of what they call phase-out species, where you've got species that either, A, they're so common, they're kind of like, hey, we should move over to more uncommon stuff, or it's something where the captive population is just not going to, like, it's it's so small that it'll never be viable, so we should try to use our, uh, you know, our limited resources to something that we can actually feasibly kind of keep that population going. I know um, yeah. Zoo Atlanta has sun bears. Right. And I know the AZA is trying to phase out sun bears just because their population is so small. It's just it's not it's not going to last. So they're trying to just push other zoos into other bear species. Uh, the only reason I, I say that about them, you know, wondering if maybe they just moved moved on from puffs is, you know, when you're dealing with organizations that that are pretty limited in terms of budget and what they what they can allot things to i i can't see puffs being something that a zoo is going to be like yeah we're going hard into puffs guys we're we're getting a big group of these we're going to breed them like crazy we're saving the species yeah. when you could be putting that money towards like aruba island rattlers or which they did have oh wow um, yeah aruba island Aruba Island Rattlers are huge on the AZA's priority list right now. Yeah. yeah. There's just other things that I think like that are as much as I hate to say it, more worthy of the money and time. It'd be like yeah. being a specialty specialty car dealership and being like, yeah, we need every Toyota Corolla we can get our hands on, guys. You know. Nothing against puffs, but they're the, the yeah. copperheads of the biddest world. Very true. Very true. <laughs> uh, but it had me thinking. So while we were walking around, you know, I was like, if I were to open a zoo, specifically like a reptile zoo, how would I do it? What would I allow? What would I focus on? And so when me and Phil were talking earlier, when I got after I got home, I was like, I got an idea. Let's let's like talk about our if we were going to do this, 
how would we do it? What would we have? What would we focus on? Like, because I feel like we have we have different enough tastes to where our answers would be pretty different. And you seemed game for it. Figured it'd be something kind of kind of cool. We all think about it, you know. Well, bef- I sent you a picture, but before you show that picture, when when we get to that point in the conversation, I want to like give some caveats about it and. When you had first messaged me about this topic, I was ecstatic because uh, for those of you who are unaware, um, Ari Flagel and a few other folks opened up a, for lack of a better word, reptile zoo or serpentarium in Texas. Which looks incredible. It, I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's absolutely breathtaking. It just opened. It's it's brand new. It is, it's all indoors and it is literally me and a few of my older friends dream and that's what we always joked is like if we won the lottery we would do this we would open this facility and this would be our this we'd have our reptile zoo and originally it was like okay we just want to have snakes just snakes it's like no you gotta have everything you gotta have amphibians gotta have turtles and lizards and shit if we get it to a tar rock and roll you know the only thing we were hesitant on was crocodilians just because of space um and there's so many crocodilian institutions especially in florida that it would be kind of a waste, you know, but if we could harness that Bill Haas serpentarium feel, then, you know, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. And we sat down and we did business proposals. We thought about loans. We figured out like, okay, we need like a hundred grand for this, a hundred grand for that. And like mapped it out. And then we basically told ourselves, all right, if we win the lottery, we'll do it. But if we don't win the lottery, this is never going to happen. At least not in our, I not think in our I, current situation. Me and Jake sat down one day and kind of like roughly did the math in our head. And I think just to get something started that was like really presentable and like on par, you're looking at like a minimum of a million dollars to start. Yeah, for sure. Probably more like two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like, especially nowadays, the mm-hmm. space, the animals themselves, food, like, the yeah. whole thing. Well, and, and it wasn't so much the animals or anything. It was finding the right building in the right location for the right price. And then doing renovations, installations, demolitions, all of that. And then figuring out uh, mortgages and taxes and utilities and like getting all that together. And that's the that's the hardest part is doing all that. Um, and the, the kids in Texas are doing it and it's freaking amazing. It's mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. So I actually sent Smitty a picture from like 15, almost 20 years ago that we drew on a cocktail napkin at a bar and then I converted it onto, uh, onto paint. Remember the old paint app? Um, so it's just boxes and lines and Smitty can show it whenever, but we sat down and we made lists, lists of things we'd need. And uh, it, it's still a dream for all of us, you know. I don't, I don't want to say I have delusions of grandeur, but it's uh, it's pretty cool to see other people do it, like how we would have wanted it done, how we saw it in our mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And like Bill said, construction and animal acquisition is the easiest part for most of us. Yeah. The animals for sure. Yeah. But you want me to pull that picture up right now? Yeah, sure. Go for it. And what's funny is back then uh, there was a, a shift in my local commercial 
dwellings where there was a ton of vacant businesses, you know, mom and pop paint store that got bought out by Sherwin Williams and Sherwin Williams said, well, this location sucks. So close it down. So now you have like a 20,000 square foot retail space with, you know, 100 parking spots, just vacant, you know, and it's, it's on a major road near the turnpike and the, the interstate. So we would look at places like that and be like, oh man, we could buy that, but we don't have, Two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars to buy it, you know. Uh, so things like that, you know. And then it was also on, living well, while that loads. I'll keep rambling on my soapbox. Um, we thought about all the fun we would have with the nostalgia aspect, because all of us have fond, fond childhood memories of animal institutions that we went to as kids, and the things that we loved like the stupid things like when i was a kid my mom would always take me to philadelphia zoo like all the time and i had a ton of these plastic cobras that were they were plastic chain link and then you held it and you would wiggle your hand back and forth and the chain link would would wiggle like a like a slithering snake and i'm just thinking like those stupid tchotchke toys that i loved as a kid you know, and like the, the rubber frog that you throw across the room and it sticks in the window and then it walks down the window, like things like that, you know, having a legit gift shop and then converting that gift shop into being like a small kids area gift shop an adults gift shop with like, you know, Fulvius apparel t-shirts and hey. get, get hooked snake yeah. hooks. And then at the same time, having a legitimate bookstore. And getting a, a, a dealership from Edition Chimera and getting a dealership from Krieger. Well, Krieger's not around anymore, but you, you catch my drift. And this was the initial drawing. So if someone wants to open her, open up a servitarium, feel free to steal this photo and use it. However, I want recognition and I want free entry for life. Just saying. Just you know, saying. you know what I did appreciate about the Riverbank Zoo. What's that? Is like Jacksonville. In order to leave the Jacksonville Zoo, you have to go through the gift shop. Which if that's you have every a child, that's every zoo, bro. That's every zoo. No, that's every yeah, museum. Like Banks does not do that. Oh, really? Really? Oh, see, I love that. Which I actually liked a lot because I was like, oh, no, I already no, had I like... a ten-year-old who was like, "Take me into the gift shop." And I'm like, "No." Oh no! See, I'm the opposite. I want to go There's in the gift shop there and touch everything. It, I want to ten-year-old that wants to go in the gift shop. Yeah, I want to go and buy my 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 tchotchkes and my toys and my souvenirs and my apparel and my books and then give it to the girl behind the counter and say, hang on to this for me, you know, while I go peruse your zoo. So I'm the opposite. I'm a souvenir junkie. Don't tell my fiance. I I have the memories. Well, so to go into this photo, forgive me for hijacking this conversation, but this was the basic outline that we drew on the cocktail napkin. And it is very stereotypical of what a lot of people think of when they think of an indoor zoo, right? Is this a zoo for ants? And yeah, right. It's going to be at least three times bigger than this. Um, but the point of this drawing, obviously it's not to scale is that we wanted it to be smooth. We wanted it to be, uh, a really good transition from environments to environments. We also figured on habitat and climate control being easier if we laid it out like this. And then if you guys notice, there are those purple squares at the bottom. Those purple squares were skate pods. 
are honestly yes they're escape pods they're a an exit of each hallway and we were thinking maybe we could do like a black curtain with like a, a neon sign that said exit and maybe have like a like one of those cue ropes like they have at the movie theaters that way people aren't you know drawn to go into the black curtain but if they needed to get well, out for whatever reason they no man turn it into a maze well and that was the uh, that was the goal is to actually make a maze with lots of exits because then you could maximize the space but we realized that if we did it like this drawing you couldn't have the traditional zoo hallways that go behind the enclosures right so many many zoos have the front glass is not opening right the, f- the front viewing is not opening so you'd have this a hallway heading zoo they have a hallway behind the enclosures with a secret door that's painted like rock or painted like jungle. You know, the zookeeper opens the back of the enclosure and enters the enclosure that way. Um, we realized we probably couldn't do that doing it this way because you'd have to have these big giant hallways in between, in between each, each additional hallway. Um, but yeah, th- this was the, this was the template. This was the idea. And, uh, you'll notice there's like a breeding and projects area. There's a, a venom, milking slash display viewing area kind of like how uh m toxins has their giant display window so just it's a good thing it's not to scale because those walls in between each section look like they'd be about 10 feet thick yeah right thanks (laughs) remember i did this on paint bro come on i did this on paint in 2007 come on (laughs) you didn't even give us like a reference size for like how long how big of a building are we talking about here it was on a cocktail napkin. Well, fair enough. Well, so the whole point is, if you look on the, for those of you who are listening, I'll try and paint a picture. If you look on the left side, and this was all per a building that is essentially a large rectangle, okay? You'd have a lobby with a small store and the actual entrance where people would pay admission and then enter down the first hallway. And these hallways are completely dark with the exception of each enclosure and maybe some like running lights for, for like almost like they have in the movie theater, like little running lights on the floor. We didn't want any overhead lighting because we didn't want people to be distracted from the enclosures themselves. And we, we want to highlight the animals, highlight the enclosures, and then still give it that ambiance. And then if you're in the Florida room, maybe have some Florida sounds, maybe some, you know, native American music. If you're in the <laughs> Americas, you have What's so funny? <laughs> Do you really want Florida sounds in the Florida section? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the sounds of downtown Miami. <laughs> well, I was thinking more like Latin was, music and gunshots. <laughs> I was, I was thinking more like uh, uh, cricket frogs chirping and sheep frogs chirping with like some Native American flute and stuff like that. Crackhead in the background asking for ten bucks. <laughs> Anyway, we decided that we would have at least four hallways, and then each hallway obviously has a corner, has two corners to it. Those corners could also be displays, but we wanted to have four hallways to to show most of the continents and most of the different ecosystems, and then have one short one short hallway that was strictly Florida native stuff, because obviously it was going to be in Florida. Um, and then basically just have people snake their way through the entire maze. And then end up in the breeding and 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 showing off display lab type thing, and then exit in the gift shop, gift shop bookshop. So this was this was the idea, and uh, 
maybe one day when we win Powerball, it'll actually uh, slap it'll a come Starbucks to in that sucker, and you're on to something. Don't piss on my dreams, Smitty. If that's the only Starbucks in the whole zoo, and you got to make it to where they have to go through the whole thing to get to it, you're golden. Well, so if you notice in the bottom where it says small store, and then there's like a hallway where those purple squares are. So that whole front of the building would be a uh, just like a walking hallway. So if you wanted to go in and not go into the zoo part, but you just wanted to go in the gift shop or just wanted to go into the, the front of the air, the front of the building, you could easily walk back and forth. Hell no, and that man. was they, that was they the want their coffee. They got to earn it. Anyway, that was the idea. So, and then we also thought about having a separate facility for quarantine, and then a separate facility, and it, also in that facility where we could rotate animals. And yeah. then we talked about a lot about how as cool as it would be to have super duper niche environments per enclosure we wanted to do species that you could rotate and species that you could swap around. So for every snake enclosure, make it so it could possibly have a lizard species as well or mm -hmm. vice versa. You know what I mean? In that regard. So I actually, I couldn't find the list of species that we wanted to showcase. Um, but I figured you, me and Casey could talk about that too. And then obviously I want to hear your guys ideas. Okay, so uh, idea for the zoo, though, does it have to be for this conversation possible? Or are we talking like the ACA gave me all the permits and, you know, 500, $500 million? Because I'm so, doing food snakes. If it's possible, like. <laughs> so if, if somebody gave you a billion dollars and 100 acres of land, knock yourself out. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. First things first in the reptile house, I'm having a big sea snake enclosure, like a reef tank with uh, at least one with the uh, the sea crates and some of the other uh, the Australi Australian species just out in a beautiful, like, planted coral reef tank, definitely. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah for sure. For sure. Uh, I mean, you got to have a saltwater crocodile. You got to have a saltwater crocodile area where you can go through the tunnels and maybe somebody can pay to uh, go inside a little shark tank like they do. At, what's that one place in Australia? You know the one I'm talking about? That air uh, some, some kind of cove, crocodile cove or something? Yes, you have to do that. Liability cove. Liability. It's Australia, man. It's, it's Li different. Liability there. lake. What's funny is when we talked about having an indoor facility, at the time, tegus were super popular, and uh, we talked about having a tegu pit and like have an actual pit that like you could like look down in with like ten or fifteen adult black and whites, and then for like a dollar, for a dollar you could throw a rat in, you know, kind of like the Raptors of Jurassic Park. <laughs> Obviously, that would be horribly inhumane, and we wouldn't do that. No, that's a joke. We're not doing that. I mean, you could do that with tortoises though, and like throw a little bits of cactus. Yeah, sure. So we'll pretend like it's that, you know, instead of a that yeah. would be like after hours with the live rat. Like that's the that's the friends only thing. Exactly. The VIP experience. <laughs> uh but yeah, man, I thought about sea snakes too, man. I did. And I and like I did some homework and then Henry kind of did some homework too, because we revisited it and it was like, dude, it's just not worth it. It's so hard. And like oh, it's so hard. It's so impractical and so stupid because yeah. like one in a thousand people that came would care at right. all. 
But the one in a thousand people that came would think it was the coolest thing in the world. Well, I also thought about it like this is that you get a couple species that are I don't, I don't even know if there is such a thing as more hardy than other ones, right? And you set them up as best you can. 500,000 gallon tank, whatever it takes, right? And you set this up and you get the, the temperatures and the moon cycles and you have live coral propagation and reef fish. And then you have to figure out which fish they eat or they prefer to eat or do they eat eels or whatever it may be, right? And now you're having to have a separate facility just to breed the feeders for the sea snakes. And like that could be its own thing. And think about all the research data that could come from that. Oh, it'd be so cool. It would be so cool, you know? See, like just off the Florida top of my head, the bandit sea crate. The banded sea crates would probably be the easiest. That's just that's the gut feeling. I mean, I feel like since they can come up on land, they could probably handle a more wide range of you know conditions than the other species. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That'd be cool. And another one I thought about was doing animals that people don't know exist. And like having having Tuatara would be incredible. But I wouldn't want to do just like Tuatara in a, in an enclosure with like some rocks and stuff. I would want to have like a 30-foot wall that's a cliff face and like have one of those live pictures, those live LCD screens. And like you could see like the seagulls in the background and like the moon phases and stuff. I thought that'd be awesome. See, what you have to do is you have to do like a nocturnal house. And you could probably cohab them with kiwi birds. If I mean, if we're already getting the permits for Tuatara, you could be probably getting the the kiwi bird permits too. That'd be wild. Doing that'd some be- kind of like little like red light house and having like artificial uh, artificial cycads, artificial um, ferns, and uh, like a little waterfall and a bunch of trees and stuff like that. Hell, you could probably get like fairy penguins or something like that to come in. Sure, sure. I remember you speaking of nocturnal house. I remember being a kid. I can't remember if it was the Philly zoo or I don't remember, but they had a bat house and they converted the bat house to be like a nocturnal house. And they had a couple different species of animal. I think they had aardvarks in there and then they had African aardvarks. And then they had like two or three different species of bat. But what was really cool is they did some kind of, legitimate acclimation to reverse the animal cycles so in at 9 a.m they thought it was like midnight or whatever and they would it was pitch black except for some red lights and then you had to be let into the room that way there wasn't any excess light or whatever there was like a double door system and a zookeeper would let like 10 people in at a time you could see the aardvarks doing their normal nightly routine you know looking for ants and digging stuff up and they had pounds of clay and stuff for the aardvarks to dig through and like you're like man this is so cool they think it's nighttime this is awesome and then you'd walk down the hallway and see the bats and all the bats are going crazy and then from what i gathered was come seven eight o'clock at night they turn the lights on so they completely reversed them and it's all climate control light control it's like a casino in there yeah uh taronga zoo in sydney has one like it's probably the best night house i've ever seen Really? Where they've got uh, multiple species of echidna. They had, um, you know, they had a few species of bats, like you were talking about, where you could actually see the bats flying yeah. in the middle of the night. They had one exhibit, though, which also I kind of want to talk about this in a minute, where they had these little pygmy, I guess they were marsupial mice or something like that, but it was just an enclosure full of them. And you really? could tell them, I mean, they were going wild in there. 
And it was just fun to watch them because it's an actual small active animal. Sure. You know, that's the biggest problem with zoos, in my opinion, sometimes is if you focus too much on the big stuff, they, they never move. Yeah. You know, especially big reptiles. I mean, saltwater crocodiles are awesome, but you can almost put a statue of a saltwater crocodile in your exhibit and it's going to have the same effect. Yeah. You know, except for that one occasional bit where they move. <laughs> right. I but, can't remember what zoo it was. I think it, it may have been Baltimore. It may have been Baltimore Aquarium. Somebody's going to correct me, but they had kangaroo mice in the same nocturnal thing. And you yeah, something in, like that, where they were just yeah, moving around. You could see them doing their own thing. Yeah, and they had the, the one-way mirror, the one-way glass. So you, it was it was light enough for you to see them, but they thought it was nighttime. They're all jumping around doing their kangaroo mouse thing. Super cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, I think they also had platypus in there, so you could watch the platypus swim around because they're oh, nocturnal species. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. But, okay, so over to the, the small animal idea. I feel like whenever I've pictured it, I've always wanted a big wall enclosure full of small species, you know, a mixed species exhibit with, you know, some like small charismatic animals that are going to be moving around constantly. You're going to watch something like, maybe not brown knoll because brown knoll are so common, but some kind of small tropical colorful knoll species. Sure. Mixed in with dart frog, mixed in with, uh, you know, some kind of day gecko. Something like that, just so that the public could stop and just watch and see how these things are interacting with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, awesome. picturing something like, you know, you got like Clemeride Day Gecko that are just crawling around on the top, maybe like Dracos. Yeah. How imagine, how cool would that be as a kid to watch Draco lizards be able to actually glide? Yeah. You know, yeah. you get something on the ground, like, I don't know, you probably get some kind of tortoise or something on the ground that's able to just move around a little bit, but that's. I feel like every zoo wants to have their big animals, but the small stuff's neglected. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'd want to have a little display area with just small active animals. Well, I think of it, when I when I think of the, the room that I just showed you guys, and not the room, but the facility, and I think of like how we were thinking back in the day, how we were thinking about having the reptile museum, if you will, a living museum, is not so zoo, is it's more aquarium. Because you have those dark hallways, you have these you know wall units with uh, the individual exhibit is is backlit and lit up for whatever. But talking about your small species, when you go to the aquarium, they have like a circular dome with jellyfish in the perpetual cycle in a perpetual. Yes. Swirl. Okay, yeah. Thing, the things Georgia like Aquarium, that. when you first walk in, has a huge uh, like a bunch of um, jellyfish walls and stuff like that. And that's always really cool to watch because, you know, you can turn on the different colored lights and they'll uh, light up with whatever the LED behind them is. It's a really cool uh, display. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember uh, the Frost Museum in Miami, before they moved facilities, they used to have a, like, five-foot-tall cylinder tank. And the tank was open-topped. And it, it had glass so that you couldn't reach your hands in, God forbid. Um, but it was an open-top cylinder tank that they spent thousands of dollars on to get the current just right to keep a Portuguese man of war alive. And the reason why is because for those of you who are unaware, a Portuguese man of war is actually not one jellyfish. It's multiple different species living as a colony. And if any part of the outside tentacles or the actual float itself touched the glass, it would become damaged and it would die. 
they would just send like a chain reaction and all the other parts of the colony would die. So they designed this cylinder to have like a perpetual current and keep the, the float, the main body of the jellyfish floating dead center of this tornado of water, if you will, which was crazy because the tentacles were like, I mean, God, six feet long, eight feet long, however long they were. And but sadly, they couldn't get it to work right. And they went through a lot of mana wars trying that. But something like that is so unique because it's an animal that we consider a pest. It's an animal that's all over the world. Most people can't care less, but to see it living, doing its thing in captivity, it's, it falls in that small animal genre. I, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, that's a really cool idea for an exhibit, especially because, I mean, I feel like you could have a good uh, educational display with that too, because like you said, it's a living balloon, but it's not just one animal. It's, you know, thousands of bacteria plus whatever else is living in there. Yeah, yeah. I remember, um, I think it was the Camden Aquarium had a sargassum seaweed floating ball so like the same concept of the sargassum seaweed being a living creature on its own and then you have multiple different species that have adapted and evolved to solely live in that niche ecosystem of floating seaweed so these are these are uh, the sargassum anglerfish and sargassum needlefish and these are species that only live in floating sargassum seaweed in the middle of nowhere in the ocean and i thought that was incredible because now you have that's like so kid, cool. kids and adults looking at the glass like is that a fish oh no that's a that's a crab that's a sargassum crab and it's this crab the size of your thumbnail that lives ten thousand miles offshore on this floating clump of seaweed and it just makes you wonder like how do they how do they breed how do they live mm -hmm. how, do they, how do they interact fascinating so I'm, I'm a thousand percent with you on those small species stuff. And the enclosure was, isn't even that big. I mean, that, that sargassum thing was maybe a 55 gallon, 75 gallon tank relatively. Yeah. I don't feel like something like that would have to be that big. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Smitty thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I understand why they, they have to have some of the bigger stuff. Cause that's what, you know, when people think of zoos, they think of lions and tigers and elephants and rhinos. And okay. so I can understand there is a, you know, Komodos. You know, I get that. Um, and it is going to be like the smaller, more inconspicuous stuff that, that people are going to probably not oogle at like we would. But, <clears throat> you know, it is what it is. They have the resources to maintain some of these smaller rarer things that you know no other facilities really do so it's cool yeah. that they at least set you know have a reserve a section of their efforts for things like that sure absolutely the um uh casey you and i have been to tampa zoo with with billy mm -hmm. and or tampa aquarium excuse me tampa aquarium where they have these crazy open air aviaries with legitimate mangrove estuaries. Yes, they have a mangrove forest inside this place. Charles and Aquarium is something similar. It's yeah. Cool. And, and that to me is absolutely breathtaking. Um, and I think about, you could probably do something similar to that on a much smaller scale with say, um, Herps. African dwarf crocodiles, right? Mm -hmm. Chinese alligators, something Chinese like that. Chinese alligators, but like you do African dwarf crocodiles in a room that's maybe 
I don't know. I mean, realistically, probably five or 600 square feet, right? And that's just the enclosure, okay? And you've got two African dwarf crocodiles, and then you've got some wood storks in there. You've got some small shore birds or the, the birds that eat the dirt out of the crocodile's teeth or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you could have some lizard, some tortoises in the background, some leopard tortoises in the background. And you could do this crazy open air harmonious thing because the wood stork isn't going to fly out of the enclosure and into the hallway necessarily. I mean, I'm sure it would on occasion, but you could do this open thing and still have it climate controlled indoors. And, and that to me is, is even, is even cooler. Okay. Did you see where I went this weekend? No, I, I didn't. I missed the pictures. If you put them in the group chat. Okay. So I went to Arizona this weekend. Um, they have a place there called Biosphere Two, right? Like real? Is it real Biosphere? It's, it's biodome, a biodome. Dude. It's biodome. Yeah. It's it's multiple biodomes. They have like a lung in there. Uh, the first experiment they well, one of the original experiments they did, they tried to seal people in it for two years just right. to kind of like stimulate a simulate a a Mars colony. Sure. Failed, but like it was the only, they only tried it once, so the public thought it failed because they had to let extra air in. Hudden Doyle threw off the equilibrium, dude. Yeah, free mahi mahi, free mahi mahi. But they had like multiple ecosystems in there to try to keep the uh, like the equilibrium, the whole place going. They had a desert room, they had an ocean room with an actual like little saltwater reef tank in there with a tilapia and stuff like that in it. And on the other side, they had a a tiny rainforest where they were growing coffee, avocados, papayas, stuff like that. I mean, it was, it was insane. It was the project of, uh, they said just some eccentric billionaire decided that's just like what he wanted to do with his money. He said, I want to be able to uh, build a thing to see if we can go survive in space. I really want to go watch biodome now. Based off true events. Yeah. Making a filter, making a filter, making a filter. A tasty dactyl. But what we're talking about, I, I brought that up for a reason. I don't remember you what were talking we're... about. You're talking about some enclosure you saw on your trip. Yeah, no, that was the enclosure. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. They had a, a giant in the middle of the desert. They had a giant uh, dome that had a rainforest inside of it, about a three quarters of an acre rainforest. Incredible. It was amazing. I feel like, I mean, obviously, I don't know the whole story of the whole biodome thing, but I feel like two people is kind of rough. It's a lot of work for two people. No, no, no. It was, um, they said it was a team of like eight, I want to say is what it is. Okay. Like like the uh, movie. They're, no, they're going to uh, seal them in there completely for two years. Oh, two years. Okay. Yeah. Like no exchange of air, no exchange of anything. Uh, the first run they did, they had it powered by natural gas. Eventually, they were going to do it by solar panel, stuff like that. But uh, the first one was the media called it a failure. But I, after like listening to what actually happened, I it, it was your first try, you know? Yeah, yeah. So what went wrong in it was uh, the soil bacteria uh, ate a lot more oxygen than they thought. The w- which bacteria? The soil bacteria. They had oh, a bunch really? of soil to grow the plants. Right, so they thought, right. okay, the plants we will take care of the humans and the goats and the, the pigs and the fish, but they didn't account for the soil absorbing so much oxygen too. So they ended up losing a bunch of oxygen after a really cloudy winter where they couldn't get the uh, the photosynthesis high enough. Really? So they had to let more air in. So that's they awesome. called it a failure, but yeah, that's wild, man. 
you think about it, how much space do you need to have X amount of plant life to produce with, with the perfect conditions, X amount of oxygen for X amount of people to live. Like that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go on my Instagram story, you look up biosphere too. I did like a little, uh, like a highlight reel. You can like flip through a couple of those. So yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like also people, uh, forget how much oxygen comes out of the water from aquatic plant life. Mm-hmm. You know, and like so much of our oxygen, like we think, oh, the rainforests, you know, in the jungle. And it's like, well, no, there's a lot of seaweed making a lot of oxygen, too. Yeah, a lot of plankton, a lot of phytoplankton. Yeah. Wow, that's Which, awesome. I don't know what I brought that up to uh, to talk about with the zoo exhibit, but. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure you're just sharing. It was something to do with the, uh, with the giant rainforest dome or something like that. Right, because we were talking about Tampa and their the, the who said it. Uh, the yeah, yeah, okay, that's where it came from. The Tampa Aquarium. Yeah. Like, okay, you could do something like that because I've seen it happen, where you could have a huge, uh, like artificial rainforest. Yeah. And when I was in there, I was like, "Oh my god!" If somebody let go some, I'm not going to do it. But you know, if you can get some Draco lizards, it'd be the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some Jackson's chameleons and some Draco lizards and. You know, you probably get like one or two larger herb, like herbivorous iguana or something like that. That'd be you awesome. Know. That'd be cool, man. Very cool. So, I don't know, man. I I, I think as far as a zoo goes, you'd have to uh, you'd have to get the small stuff. But then, I'm also I'm I'm on such an ocean kick right now. I think marine iguanas would be a mu- no zoo has them. Yeah. I really wish Georgia Aquarium would push to get some. I'm sure they're heavily protected by uh, whoever's in charge of the Galapagos fauna. Yeah, but they're also like, if if CITES or AZA or whatever deemed it socially acceptable to take like I don't know ten adults, that is yeah, not right. going to put that's not going to put a hurting on what's out there. You know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly what you mean, but at yeah. the same time, it's not really. Yeah, it's, it's politically correct, I guess. Yeah, and I am. I imagine because they are strictly uh, a a a aquatic plant eater, that would be a lot of seaweed you'd have to grow. Well, they have a lot of uh, like commercially grown seaweeds and stuff like that. There was a guy in Sweden who it was in one of the, like the, I think it was in the advancing herp uh, husbandry group. At one point, he had a small group of marine iguanas, obviously not cu- obviously not obtained via the up and up, you know? Sure, sure. Like, <laughs> guy in Sweden, but he had this gorgeous indoor, like, reef, um, reef shore aquarium slash vivarium thing he had that he kept them in. And he would feed them the, uh, the sushi-grade seaweed that you really? could buy from some of the stores and have them flown in. And he also grew some of his own stuff in that thing. Wow. It was the coolest reptile enclosure I have ever seen. Just a giant the one where I'm like, paludarium. I, yeah, it was a paludarium, but it was more than it was like a like a wave pool. Wow. I heard a rumor that those animals were seized because they were obviously not collected legally. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time you hear that story and you're like, the guy keep the iguanas, man. Like look what look at what he's done to keep those iguanas. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Mike Gillen says that there's people in Europe and Asia that have them. And then Patrick did a, a good point is I, I was envisioning 
the seaweed growing on the on the rocks underwater. He was saying it's marine algae, which I, which makes sense. And I imagine you I don't think probably, it's kelp. Yeah, I, I, I imagine you could probably grow if you had the right kind of like uh, uh, coral propagation tanks and stuff. You could probably grow that marine algae for X amount of time to like figure out the the replenishment need, and mm-hmm. then every day just have one of your employees dive down there and plant a bunch of rocks with algae let them have their fill of it or whatever you know who knows i think it's and they don't even need strictly just that algae i mean they may do okay with you know commercial iguana diet or something like that yeah (laughs) floating pellets how great would that yeah floating like missouri pellets or something like that yeah that'd be awesome i mean you definitely want them to be able to have access to the seaweed and stuff like that you know you kind of wonder like do they have like if push came to shove and you couldn't get the uh, algae to grow on the rocks for a few weeks, could you get away with just feeding them, you know, with standard cyclora diet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they'd even eat it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe you got to like spray yeah. it down a little bit, but. Uh, yeah. Right. But so, no, so that's, bra- that's my favorite spray. child exhibit I have ever seen. That's cool, man. That's awesome. Super cool. But. Yeah, I mean, you know, then you also have to get a couple, uh, you know, you got to get the Fiji Island iguanas. For sure, for sure. In the U.S. I mean, you got to have, you got to be able to do that. I know uh, AZA is a little particular about who those go to, and I don't think they'll ever go to a non-AZA facility, in in the U.S. at least. But, uh, you know, dream, dream, dream zoo ideas. I definitely have a of couple course. of Fiji Island iguanas. Yeah. Yeah, selfishly, I would want to do Walter Nisha, the uh, Sinai Black Cobras. I think that would be super cool. Um, I, of course, would love to have a multi-species Cordillis enclosure and like have some rock ledges with cataphractus and some crag lizards and some platysaurus. I think that would be an incredible thing. And then like maybe every other hour just let loose a bunch of pinhead crickets and watch the platysaurus like dive bomb them and go crazy i thought i think that would be awesome have like an automatic cricket thrower in there you know <laughs> or hell we're, we're billionaires have an employee throw crickets right <laughs> uh i think that would be super cool super duper cool thorny devils too oh absolutely that's yeah no i'd want to have some thorny devils i'd want to have a bunch of fornicariums or whatever whatever the scientific word for an ant farm is yeah yeah. I want to have some of those where like it's underneath the cage and then they would come out to, to forage and the thorny devil just kind of wait by the little opening and just. Yeah. And if we're, if we're doing thorny devils, we have to do Royal horn toads. Yes. Yeah, I mean, just going to have fake ant mounds with carpenter ants going crazy and just the Royal horn toads, just lapping them up. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm kind of picturing the idea where you would have like, a little glass front with the with the ant farm in there so guests could watch the ant farm and then yeah. the little openings where they could come up through it. Yep, for sure. For sure. All we need is a little excavator clay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I also thought about doing for things like anteaters or aardvarks or even some of the monitor species that live in termite mounds have a termite mound that's made of like a termite mound that has a skeleton to it that is reef is like fixable, right? So 
you could put prey in there or set climate conditions for nesting, allow the monitor lizard or the aardvark or whatever to dig into the termite mound and break it down and knock it over whatever. And then once they've had their fill a couple days later, stand it back up and like pack the sand back on it and like, mm-hmm. like a reusable termite mound, if that's possible. I thought about things like that. Oh, I like that idea. And then you could, um, well, you could also have like a little like rotating thing where you could pull it out and replace it with something else. Sure. But then you could also use that uh, torn apart termite, termite mound for uh, like monitor nesting sites and stuff yeah. like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you think about some of those desert monitors from Australia that dig, what is it, like 50, 60 feet down into all these little spiral. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 in the chambers, you have your enclosure for your monitors. And then when it comes breeding season, breeding time, you have another enclosure where the enclosure is 60 feet tall or 50 feet tall, right? But it's got the ant, the ant farm vibe. So, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's one way glass. So the, the lizard can dig and make that nest and make those burrows and those tunnels and those, those chambers underground. And we get to see it from the outside. Okay. So I just thought of a cage for one of those, uh, for one of those monitors. I've never thought about it before, but if you had a, a two-story building at your place, you could have that enclosure at the top of the staircase and yep. have it going down so you can walk alongside of it. Yeah. And, well, and I was thinking is, uh, I remember Camden Aquarium had one of the largest tanks in the world. Uh, at one point, they had like a juvenile whale shark in there. They had an adult mola mola in there a couple times. And there was this main viewing window, right? And the window was probably like a hundred by 200 feet or something crazy. Right? I mean, I was a child. I don't really remember that vividly, but when you went around the other side, there was a large window about half the size of that, that had amphitheater seating. And they did like once or twice a day, they had divers go in and the divers had like an underwater microphone and they would tell you like, oh, this is a parrotfish and this is a mackerel and this is a barracuda. His name is Charlie or whatever. And you could sit in this like little amphitheater, but they had that stadium seating. You could do the same thing in a large enough room where you're walking down the hallway and there's this monitor enclosure. And if you have a horizontal enclosure right a rectangle of viewing right on the right side or the left side whatever on the right side the substrate's only 10 inches deep but on the left side it's like 60 feet deep and it, it goes down to that that amphitheater style seating and now you can be on the top and look at the lizards do their thing and then if you wanted to walk around do your staircase like you said and go down to the lower level and see that stack I gotta find pictures of that. Okay, so getting away from reptiles for a second. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely want to do hornbills. I freaking love hornbills. Yeah, man. I mean, you get some of those species. You have a couple nesting boxes in there where you could watch the uh, the males seal the females in. Of course, of course. That'd be incredible. Yeah, I mean, you had some. They're awesome. And there's so many species of them too. I know. I know. So, like, do you, you get, do you lean more towards Asian or do you lean more towards African? Asian for me. See, I, I lean more. Obviously, I love my African animals, but dude, like Zazu, like eating baby puff adders, so cool. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, come on, man. Great hornbills, rhinoceros hornbills. Yeah, they're super they impressive. So many species out there. Super impressive. I just I just think about like African ground hornbill and like Oh yeah, yeah. I mean the Abyssinian hornbills are incredible. Yeah, ch chasing mongoose off so it can steal the cobra that they tried to eat, you know? Super cool. But yeah, I mean for the uh, for the uh, ornithology class I had to take last semester, we had to do this whole project where it was design your own um, like aviary with multiple species, multiple ideas, and hornbills were a huge part of that project I wrote about where I had uh, southern ground hornbills and great hornbills in this like rotational enclosure really? where there grew fruit inside of it and stuff like that so they could actively forage so the guests could watch them pick fruit out of trees. That's awesome. That's yeah. Super cool. So I would want to do something like that. That and two K. I love any uh, like hornbill, softbill, anything like that. I'm super into. That's cool, man. I heard I heard two cans are kind of a pain in the ass. <laughs> I've only ever played with one, and he was kind of a dick. <laughs> two cans are two cans are assholes. Okay. Unless you, well, it's like any bird. You know, you have to uh, you have to decide very early on. Do I want this to be a breeder? I don't want this to be a pet. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. if you hand rear a bird, it's never going to uh, properly, you know, imprint on other birds. It's going to want to be around humans. But if you decide, okay, it's going to be a breeder, you need to stay away from those birds and just let them do their own thing. Yeah, for sure. Which, I mean, I'm always a little iffy about like the, uh, I mean, I'm super hip hypocritical saying this, but on the ethics of keeping, you know, something like macaws, something like toucans, where they have huge ranges, really complex social structures and stuff like that. In a cage, but I think if you did it big enough, you could get away with it. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And uh, Patrick says there's a guy in Florida who breeds dwarf hornbills, and uh, there's actually a, there's a lot of people in Florida that breed different species of hornbills. Matt and Jamie actually had a Vonderdecken for a short time, which was like the most fun bird I think I've ever interacted with. Mm -hmm. Dude, so cool! The Vonderdecken was awesome. Yeah, aviculture does have uh, like a small but dedicated group of uh, hornbill keepers. Yeah. I think uh, Jordan Russell, who used to do California Breeders Union, yeah. uh, moved over to hornbills. Yeah, he's got and a I bunch got, like, of species. Some of the, what? He's got a bunch of species. Yeah, like a bunch of little African species. It kind of surprises me what all they've got in their uh, in their little world. But I'm sure they look at the reptile world and kind of see the same thing. Oh, yeah. But it's so different than reptile keepers yeah i mean i looked at like what all it takes to take care of toucans and hornbills i mean you got to feed them multiple times a day you have to be very careful about what they eat you know it's it's an animal where you can't just leave like if you're a bird yeah. keeper you're there you're you you never leave your house yeah unless you have a, a staff to take care of them with you for sure for sure but yeah my zoo hornbills hornbills toucans Aeroceres. I have a cassowary. I have a breeding pair of cassowaries. Nice, nice. That'd be I awesome. need my, my murder turkeys. Hell yeah. Plus one of the murder turkeys. Mm. Probably pygmy hippos too. For mammals. That's one Big of my favorite murder turkeys. What was that? Big blue murder turkeys. The Australian murder turkey. <laughs> What about you, Justin? 
I have some stuff written down. So, like, the criteria that I gave Phil that we could build upon. Yeah, we didn't even go into that. Rock and roll. Is, uh, so, genus slash species, you would have more funds allocated towards starting a program with. Other species you would want on display. And then three pet, uh, like, hobby common species you would have to have on display. And then, like, you could, if there was, like, certain... Basically, you make their own your own rules in terms of what you can and can't do. Uh, mine being that cigars are fully allowed indoors and outdoors because each building would have excellent ventilation. Got that million uh, dollar blower up in there. That's right. Because um, that was we were walking around the zoo earlier. And I was like, man, if I had a cigar right now, I'd be like perfect. Killing all this the birds. Is really nice up here. You know, <laughs> it was perfect weather for it. So nice. Uh, I do a lot of like hosting of herb events oh absolutely you gotta have you gotta have like a i don't want to say a party room but a a a hosting room of sorts where you could have educational seminars you could have kids birthday parties you could also have if you want to do like a like a college lab type thing you could do that too you know uh, extracurricular training of some kind what do they call that continued education ce Mm -hmm. yeah Having like after hours options so that if you like want, like we are limited to like 20 people in the zoo at the time after closing or something, because it would also be awesome to have like had like rollerblades or like a bike or something and just ride around the zoo without a bunch of people there. Oh, yeah. Um, for me, genus specific, I had uh, Mexican Crotalus. Boiga or and Rana Tamea cool. for my, my programs. Species specific, I do McGregori or Macrolepis. Macrolepis are those large scaled uh, tree vipers, pit vipers oh, yeah. that I love so much. And then McGregori, are those the Philippine? I don't know what the common name is of those, but those yeah. are really cool. You don't see those yeah. very often. Filipino tree viper. Uh, if I did a continent-specific program, I'd without a doubt do India with a focus on the Andaman Islands. Yeah. Uh, enclosure-wise, I'd want, like, walk-in closures like the tunnels that, like, the aquariums have where you, like, walk through the... I guess, like, the Georgia Aquarium is literally just, like, a, a pad you stand on and it moves you. That's cool. Like a people mover? Yeah, because... Why make people walk? Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly what I'd set up in that though. That'd be a that'd be a tough one. I would feel compelled to. You'd have to have something that was like active and out out and about enough to sort of make it worthwhile. So I'm I'd probably do something fairly dart frog heavy and uh, common like pet. Species that I do, I figure like your base corn morphs, so like your anneries, your amels, like basically things to explain pigment to people that would show like this is what an annery is, this is why it looks this way, this is what amel is, this is why it looks this way. Like basically, you take out this pigment, that pigment, this pigment, this is what you get, just to kind of explain that to people. I think that would be a good tool. Um, I think having a like Texas cut 
display type enclosure with different species. You know, some of the, the scoloperus that we saw, um, like Alterna, some of the, uh, you know, maybe Aatrox, probably Subox, Bairds, obviously. Um, and then I think Bredeli would be a good option for something like that because Bredels are always going to be out and about. If you had just a really nice big setup with a pair of Bredels in it that mimicked, you know, Alice Springs and like a rock face kind of deal with, you know, with a tree basically taking like the pictures and videos that, that Casey had of Alice Springs when he was there and recreating that. Um, I think that'd be really cool. I think that'd be a good species for that. Um, and then I thought, you know, something else that would be really neat to where if you had the ability to set up a display that mimicked exactly where these things come from, like leopard geckos would be really cool. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. You get something that's like as close to what a natural leopard gecko looks like and set it up and then basically explain like, you're going to see these in pet stores everywhere you go. But there's a lot of stuff people don't know about them in terms of like, they actually are like a real animal that lives out in the world. Yeah. Not something that we just keep in boxes. Uh, I think that would be be really cool to sort of mimic a, you know, how you would typically find those, um, and showing like on a map, you know, there's this the usual zoo stuff with like a range and that kind of thing. Where's the peach throat section go? <laughs> Skyler. Nowhere. Uh, as far as other species I would want on display, the list is as follows. Uh, at the top of that list, all atheris, every species of bush viper possible in multiples. Nice. Not just one of each. Um, all Asian arboreals, be it uh, trims or pariahs or cryptolytrops or whatever they're called now, it's changed again. Uh, a side-by-side of emerald tree boas and chondros that explains, uh, what is it, divergent evolution? Convergent sure. evolution, yeah. Convergent, convergent, yeah. yeah, yeah. That shows like opposite sides of the world, very similar in terms of ecology and, and natural history and things. You could do that with a lot of species. Uh, yeah, you could, but I figured a good example of that would just be yeah. emeralds and condors. But uh, Jamaican boas, because jams are cool. Jams are my jam. Uh, Kaz- Vipera, Kaznikave. Cool. Because that's one of my favorite Vipera species. Viper geckos. Spengleri, which are the uh, Japanese black-breasted turtles, the little tiny guys. Conixus. Yeah. Because this, this is a hingeback house. This is a hingeback house. Here at THN, this is a hingeback house. Thousand percent. Uh, Kimberly rock monitors would be really cool. Tristus monitors would be cool. Uh, and then having something that like shows natural color variation, I feel like like specs would be a perfect example of that of animals that have evolved to match their their given habitat. Yeah, uh, you know, having so much variation in those and like them evolving to match the the rock color of the given area they're in, I feel like that's a perfect that's a perfect species to show show that off. I've um, always wanted to do a cohab with just specs but have it be a long enough enclosure where like you have like blue rocks on the left and red rocks on the right and white rocks in the middle you know what i mean and like see them gravitate towards their respective color phase you know yeah, yeah. 
but species like as far as like allotted species survival plan group i feel like the mexican mexican crotalus stuff is wildly underrated there's a ton of species that we don't have in the hobby that are just really freaking cool um you know i'd add ophriacus to that that group in a heartbeat um you know like the you know the eric smith eye and some of the other there's a handful of species of rattlesnake in in mexico that are small and like fairly new to science oh yeah and i think it'd just be it'd be really cool to to see those focused on uh and then, the island and then yeah and then you know boiga if we could have every species of boiga possible i think that'd be awesome too because there's a ton of species in india that we don't have in the hobby and probably never will uh you know some of the stuff from the andaman islands that i think we've talked about on previous episodes you know there's some really cool stuff there i think one of the coolest looking species of boiga is on the andaman islands uh and cobra and cobra um india is overall again like in terms of the herpetofauna just ridiculously underrated there's so much cool stuff out there and you know i guess with with the king cobras and everything everyone's super hyper focused on those but you know even on the on the invert front you know the tarantulas they have you know ornamentals that's one of my favorite groups of tarantulas that i kept a lot of you know over the years like that's a really incredible group of spiders um and then yeah the macrolepis it'd just be cool to to like that's a species that I didn't even know was a thing until within the last like year or two, and I'm I'm obsessed, dude. That's such a cool looking species. Oh yeah, and it's like you, that that group is so massive in terms of the Asian like pit vipers and stuff between Pariahs and Trimeresterus, Cryptolytrops, whatever the new ones called, um, Protobothrops, like all that stuff. You know, there's just there's a lot of ground to cover there too. Like you could you could fill up an entire room just with that that clade. And then maybe some like north like montane Chinese stuff would be kind of cool too. I, say, I think a montane room in general would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which Riverbanks also had an absolutely diesel Mangshan. Nice. That thing was a beast. So that's sort of the quick rundown of, of mine. And I'd, I'd make I'd, there'd be concessions and they wouldn't cost an arm and a leg. Costco style. Free soft pretzel with entry. Cause you guys Look know how you. much I love my, my soft pretzels. Look at you. Well, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I did not write down. Everything like you did, I, I should have. I was. I wrote it down because I knew I'd forget it. I would. And, I'd be, uh, yeah. like, we'd finish, and as soon as we were done, I'd be like, "Shit, I wanted to add that," and you know. And I, I think about, like, so for about an hour before the show, I was just racking my brain, thinking of stuff, and like looking at photos, and like remembering zoos as a kid, and like, I feel like I'm too rational in my thought. And I need to step out of that and go just to the Casey Cannon of we're billionaires with unlimited sea turtles. <laughs> yeah, and like, dude, like I would have never thought of marine iguanas, but that one is so freaking good. I would, I honestly would have never thought of sea snakes because they're illegal in Florida and they're a huge pain in the ass. So like, why even worry about it? I'm like, no, 
Casey's right. That's a brilliant idea, you know? Um, I think some species are like right off the top of my head that I would want to try and focus on because we have stuff that we want for our own personal collection, but you you want to you also want to try and help species that need help, right? So like the Ethiopian stuff, um, there's a new species of bitus that was recently discovered, recently rediscovered, I should say, and described. Um, oh, that would have been on mine too, man. Some of those like smaller bitus species that that no one Corallus crampani. Speaking of stuff that's just recently those been rediscovered, almost, those were almost on my list. Well, I was going to say uh, thought about them. Bitus harina, which is a, a, an unknown species of viper from Ethiopia, and they live in, in a very similar ecosystem to the Ethiopian mountain adder, and it's so remote and so thick jungle mountainside leaf litter that it the thing just no one's found them i think they've only found like five or six ever so like doing the research to try and find more of them and then getting a pair of them because let's be real bit is breed like weeds right yeah but and i mean look at how far the oculo come in a short span well, and here's the problem is that I feel like myself, I, I'm a classic example of I had the opportunity to buy a lot of Parviocula for no money. And I was like, oh, they're really cool. I'll do them next year. I'll do them next year. And then they just disappeared. And now they're a billion dollars each. And I'm screwed. You know what and I'm saying? And call Dallas and Cornuda. Well, yeah, but at least guys in Europe and, and in the States now are still breeding them. I feel like no one's breeding Parviocula, and if they are, it's very, very close-knit, tight circle, and they're charging exuberant amounts of money for them. So I would definitely want to focus on those those two species of, of viper. Um, I would love to do Okinawa habu, Protobothrops, Flavovirinus. Um, there's a smaller island locality that is neon green. Henry turned it on to turn me on to them. Um, they only get like two and a half, three foot, which I think is super cool. Um. And then Montane rattlesnakes, man. I got the bug. You know, I got the bug. Being in the mountains, man, breathing that air, smelling them smells. I have like, to see a Will Artie in the wild before I die. You will. You it's got to happen. Yeah. It's incredible. I do like That's how weird and all this. You can tell we are not Chelonian people at all. Well, no. it appears, but I mean, there's so you, you didn't let me get there. So I was going to say, yeah. Conixus, I was going to say, I would love to have at least one, if not pairs, of every species of Conixus and have like the Conixus room. Like, oh, you want to see some bot eyes turtles? Go down this hallway, look at this room, right? But I also really, really like wood turtles. And I feel like there are wood turtles that need help. And there are wood turtles that are uh, readily, readily accessible from certain legitimate means to be to help with zoo stock and private stock and everything else so like both americans uh, americana wood turtles and asian wood turtles i think that would be awesome to do that especially with setting up the the, the habitats i feel like that'd be super cool you know and of course we talk about pancake tor tortoises too pancakes are definitely on the list oh despite, they're adorable and i feel like they get aroma I also feel like Egyptian tortoises are in the same way. I love Egyptian tortoises. Yeah, and you can't do, you cannot do Egyptian tortoises without greasiest monitors. Mm -hmm. You can't, you have to cohab them. And so you have, have to, to share Well, maybe not, maybe not. 
Yeah, I feel like no, your Eurymastics might might get eaten. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that you can't do the Eurymastics and the monitors together. You can do Eurymastics and you, it's yeah. a one or the other thing. Right, right. Egyptian well, Euro could hold its own. Yeah, I feel like an adult male Egyptian Euro could definitely hold its own against Greasius, but I think that Greasius and Tortoises together would be so freaking cool. You know, and, and have like like the footsteps of like an, an Egyptian temple with like hieroglyphics mm-hmm. carved in the walls, like oh that'd be awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um, and then another one, shout out to Dr. Wyman. Uh, some of the Himalayan kukri snakes. Dude, he has got me looking at some fossorial stuff, man, that is just out of this world. You know, right on the India-Nepal border, like some of these, cri- like I got, this is my new, one of my new wallpapers. Check this snake out. I don't even remember what this, what the species name is. Um, but look at this kukri. Isn't that wild? That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. It's on a leaf, and then look at this. Let me try and look at the purple bands with orange and red. Absolutely yeah, that's like awesome. The Enola's version of the snake snake world, like the stuff we have, is is like the baseline. Everything else is really cool. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like. Uh, He's on the right track getting to some of the kukris. Um, I'd like to get some myself. Um, I think that's that's another genus that's just highly overlooked. Um, and then, uh, honestly, uh, Calliophus. I would love to get into some Calliophus, man. You know, and not just the blues. I mean, try and get, if you can get a handful of everything and just stockpile snakes and breed snakes for feeders and do the whole leaf litter and jungle thing and just show people that these things are out there and how amazing they are. And at the same time, if you can breed them and you can get the the, the data of breeding them and the, the courtship and egg laying and all of that and eventually get to a point where you can produce enough to do more venom research because there's very little venom research on them at all. I feel like that's another species that, that, that that's another genus that really needs attention. In the only the thing that, that we know about it is from the people that got bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the, or the dead ones that we've cut open, you know? So Patrick says he sent you a picture on messenger. Oh, let me see what I got. What do we got here? Oh, very cool. What are, what are we looking at here? Some kind of boa. I'm not hip to all the boas, but... No, that's yeah, a crow for the... Benai. Yeah, that's the crow oh, Nice. Very cool. They found, like, five of them. Crazy. Casey, so, what about you? Okay. Uh, I mean, I did not have the time to plan this out, but uh, definitely Philippine Selfin Dragons. Uh, I would have a large Australian, like an uh, arid Australian pit. Taliqua uh, Multifanciata would definitely be in there. Um, maybe some kind of, something like a, a long-nosed dragon. Something I don't know. I don't remember. I think they've changed a couple times what their taxonomy is. So I don't remember what they are. But Central Australia has a uh, 
has a long-nosed water dragon that looked amazing. That were probably some of those active lizards we saw there. They were about the size of a basilisk. But they were awesome. Um, definitely do a mountain room with some of the, you know, the Central American montane vipers, Bolan's pythons, uh, some of the abronia species, some of the highland, uh, or maybe not necessarily highland, but definitely say something uh, like the, uh, the New Zealand gecko species. Yeah, man. Nautilus for sure. Yes. So, uh, when I went to Ron St. Pierre's the other day, he told me about some kind of, there's a giant gecko in New Zealand that no one has, they found one. They found one in like the early 1900s because they were cutting down trees. You're talking about the one that's the taxidermy one. And it's a really, really bad taxidermy job. It's a terrible taxidermy job. Ta terrible taxidermy job. So they I've found heard, one. I heard a <laughs> lot of stories about that. I heard that that was a lechionis that got either drafted or like uh, drifted over on a raft or got uh, uh, in some kind of shipment on some boat or something. And when they, when the taxidermist, that when the taxidermist tanned its skin, he stretched the shit out of it. And that's what it really is. Okay. Cause the story I heard was they chopped on a tree and they found it, but then it's in a protective forest where they never, you know, you're not allowed to log in anymore. So no one's found a gecko that lives at the top of the trees that probably still exists there. Yeah, but I feel like that's crazy. I feel like, especially in this day and age, you have countless grad students chomping at the bit to get their name on a paper. You don't think they want to explore the jungles and, and do some tree climbing like they do in the Amazon? Like, come on, man. I, I don't know, man. It's out in the really, uh, really remote part of New Zealand. Yeah, see, that's what it made me always... be something that's not common. You know, slow breeding species that looks way high up in the trees. Yeah, but uh, don't crush uh, my dreams because I want to be that person that goes out and looks for them. <laughs> no, what I'm what I'm saying is, is that it 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 sh it it never. I'm stuttering my words. Excuse me. I never took it seriously because of the one specimen that's a botched taxidermy job that looks like someone wrapped a wooden a three foot wooden toke gecko with leather. Okay. That's what this that's what this thing looks like for those of you who can envision it. I can't believe that no one has put up like think about the thylacine groups, the trail cams, the thermal imaging cameras, the helicopter missions. Like no one's gone looking for this gecko. Okay, so the thylacine thing's different. Like first of all, a giant gecko would not show up on a trail cam because it can be way up in the trees. The only way you'd find it is if you were a uh I mean, you'd have to be logged in the forest. That's how we discovered yeah. so much stuff out in, uh, you know, New Guinea and uh, most of these uh, Southeast Asian islands now. Is we're logging, we're logging, we're finding stuff at the top of the trees because they fell down to the bottom of the uh, the forest floor. Yeah, but see, I feel like there's 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 biologists in the Amazon that have telephoto lenses that can look up to like I don't know a mile or whatever it is. And, no, they can see super far with it. And and they find like a yearling one foot long kinkajou that just happened to be sitting on this branch. And it's like 800 yards away. Like they're looking for this stuff. You know what I mean? And Ryan Cox says it best is because it's a gecko. And I hate to say that's true, but that's that's it. I mean, I 
I think you're right. I think it's there. If it's out there, either a no one's looking for it. B it's so well camouflaged that even if you were looking with your thousand foot telephoto yeah. lens, yeah. it would just look like a piece of lichen on yeah. a tree that's covered in lichen. You know, I want to believe there's there's not a lot of cryptids out there that I believe in, and that that's one that I I that think could be one. That, that that definitely yeah. could be one. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. give you that. I don't think thylacine thylacine don't exist in Australia or. Don't, don't say that. Don't say they, that. They don't, man. All right, let's maybe my, New Guinea. Maybe right. New Guinea. If they are exist, if they exist anywhere, they are still on New Guinea. Okay, take my take my Tazzy Tiger out of your mouth and just hear me out on this one. There are people who do canopy research for orchids and plants and lichen and for air ferns and types of mosses, and they have these special tree climbing rigs with these special giant carabiners and they shimmy their way up 400 500 feet up this tree in the amazon and they oh, put no. cameras and they take temperature readings and photographs and all this stuff casey can needs to get on that yeah yeah exactly i want to go do that i want to go look for this giant gecko to see if it's there yeah yeah i feel like uh, this is not a case i'll of... put it in the zoo Right. This is not a case of the Chupacabra or Loch Ness Monster. This is a case of like Colossal Squid or or, or, or Coelacanth. I, I mean, mean it's, it's a giant gecko that looks like moss living in a place where no one goes and they live in the top of the trees. Yeah. I would say that could probably exist. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. That'd be awesome. And then we're going to put it in the Montane house of this, this billion dollar zoo. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, uh, go, going not to hijack your list there, Casey, but definitely got to do Owen Pelly and Ruffies. Because oh yeah, got to have got to have Aussie represent. You know, I know you said Taliqua and all that, but got to do that too. Yes. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Can have tequila as well. Get tequila. Yeah. Little margarita station. Well, we will plant massive agaves on the uh, plant massive agaves in enclosures and on the back of the property and we'll have our own herbiculture network to liquid tequila i like this idea super in with some of the mexican uh crotalus yes a thousand percent and then we'll have the the signature series cannon fire margarita don't tip me that sounds amazing Made with real cannon. We'll put gunpowder in every bottle. Well, but, sorry, Casey. I feel like I hijacked your your. your no, list. no, no. I mean, I, I wasn't really going anywhere with that. I mean, you got to have some of the giant tortoises to just, you know, you can have like little uh, behind the scene tours, like so many zoos do, where you can go out and you can feed the uh, the aldabras or the galops lettuce. But I feel like to do a uh, a real conservation work, you'd probably need to have you know, actual locality galops. That's kind of the problem we have uh, in captivity right now is we've got a bunch of, you know, we got a bunch of hybrid ones. So the conservation groups don't really care about them. But really, if you See, get I, didn't actual know, I didn't know there was different ones. Yeah, uh, uh, most of the islands have their own species of tortoise on them. And most of the ones you see in captivity are just, they're, they're hybrids. Really? Yeah. Are, so, there, are there ones that are different, you know, physically, or is it 
There are. There, um, I mean, you have to look it up exactly what it is. I know there's some that have more of a sloping shell. Uh, some of them are bigger. Uh, there's one they had to rediscover pretty recently that uh, it's able to survive on pretty sparse lava rock. I mean, really? not on fire lava rock, but you know, pretty <laughs> sparse environments. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're different. I feel like yeah, I, it's not a Pokemon or anything. It's yeah. Not- no, well, I was gonna say I feel like my my question was stupid because uh, obviously it, it is different. But is there a way that that the, a, a layman like myself can tell by looking at photographs? Uh, like. Uh, I, I don't know because I'm a layman too. Okay. I know that there are some that have the sloping shell and yeah, shell size is a big difference on a lot of them, but I don't know off the top of my head to tell you. Okay. Very cool. But yeah, I mean, that's, I feel like as far as a guest outreach, outreach that would be a good species to have. And I agree with Justin on the corn snakes where you have the different color morphs and stuff like that. And corn snakes are such good snakes to have for, you know, the educational outreach programs that I feel like every zoo should have. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Another one that I, I like would be uh, terrapins too. Oh yeah, I feel like that'd be cool. Guest outreach, you know, have have your 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 pools and your ponds and kind of turtle aquatic turtle petting area if you want that kind of thing. With yeah, mark turtles would be really good. What was that? Yeah. With alligator snappers in it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, I'd want to do uh, uh, fly river tortoises. That'd oh, be yeah. Yeah. yeah, I and, mean, and, so and that, the idea we're already having, we got sea turtles, but I feel like you could you could do a pretty cool exhibit with some uh, some fly river tortoises. Yeah, you gotta have it have it in in the New Guinea wing. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way to do it. And then on, on the same line, you got to do hellbenders, man. Got to do hellbenders. Well, no, yeah. okay, if you're doing hellbenders, you could. Have, I mean, why do hellbenders when you can do uh, Japanese salamanders? Well, because hellbenders are American, damn it. God damn! <laughs> yeah, they're Quit the same to... thing. They're definitely not. They're the same not the same thing. They're <laughs> giant yeah. gummy lizards. I feel like that would be a really cool experience too. Like, if you really wanted to, if your enclosure was large enough, and you want to have like swim with hellbenders. I think that'd be super cool. That would, would be cool. more like a like a wade with hellbenders kind of thing. Yeah, like a like a a, a touch tank that you could get into. You know. Every tank's a touch tank if you ain't a bitch. <laughs> Thanks, Keller. Get <laughs> <laughs> the sea uh, snake enclosure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Show you how much you are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's good. You have to sit on a surfboard while you while you're doing. <laughs> oh, geez. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's tough because I I definitely have species that I want for my own personal enjoyment, but. You also you want to do species that that need the help, you know. And uh, the problem is, how do you how do you prioritize species? You know. Mm-hmm. Here's an idea for a zoo. It, one building, and it's nothing but rhino rats. Casey, turn his feet off. I'd go to that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, crickets. I just come in there with with a Baron's racer. It'd eat all of them. Yeah. Or wh- who was telling us that it's the opposite way around? <laughs> oh yeah, no, somebody did say it was the opposite way around. Yeah, where somebody, somebody. One of them the ate the other. I don't remember which it was. I think it was the, the rhino. Yeah, the rhino ate the Barons. I think. 
we didn't want to say that publicly because it would it would it would sway the odds too much. I'm just saying we found out which one was uh the superior horn. Oh, you shut your mouth, sir. Halubrid. And if there was if there was ever the debate of which one would win in a fight, we already know the answer to that question. Oh God. Well, what else did we what else did we say that we were going to talk about in regards to our our dream zoo? That the rules were there ain't no rules. Okay. How about electrify the glass so that every time some kid comes up and starts pounding on it, they get a little, <laughs> little zap. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst bad, man. For like the gorillas and stuff that were just sitting there trying to take naps, man. They got all these little kids coming up and like banging on the glass. It's like I mean they're probably used to it by now, but still. Yeah, but I'd be if I'd be a, if I was a, a gorilla in a zoo, dude, you'd never see me. I'd be out hiding somewhere. Like I'm not dealing with these people gawking at me all day. Oh yeah. They ain't gonna they ain't gonna feed me. They ain't gonna do nothing. The weaklings, I could break them in half if I wanted to. Yeah. This is so stupid. You ever heard uh, Shaq's interview where he talks about going to the zoo? No. And every time he goes to the zoo, all the gorillas and all the chimpanzees freak out. Really? You know, you're used to seeing people all day. The biggest person you may see is like 6'4", and all of a right. sudden this seven foot two motherfucker comes in. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. That's wild. Yeah, apparently they, uh, apparently they freak out when they see him walking in. That's cool. That's very cool. Dude, man, those they had a like a male silverback and that thing. Just seeing the freaking muscles on those things, dude. Oh like yeah. Knowing that if they put you in a freaking headlock, you could just pop your head like a grape. Oh, they wouldn't even need to do a headlock, just be a little head squeeze. Crazy. There's that one video of like where it grabs the park ranger by the leg and like drags the guy like six feet and the guy lets him do it because he knows like nothing bad's happening. It was just like a like, hey, he lets him do it because it's the only thing he can do. Right. Well, if you fight back, he'll rip your face off. But like he like let he like gets drug like four or five feet and then he gets up and he's like, oh, God, that just happened. Uh, And the gorilla's like, just letting you know, bro. Yeah. Don't you forget. Yeah. Don't you forget don't take it. Don't take advantage of my my kindness. Yeah. Yeah. The best part of that was that gorilla wasn't even trying. Just a little. Yeah. Like yeah. no sign of strain or nothing. Move just finger. Hold the guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Maybe uh. experiment area to cross monitors and chickens. Pretty sure we just call those velociraptors. Pretty sure that would just one would eat the other one. Yeah, that chicken would eat good. I know this is going to be blasphemous, but I really don't get the Komodo dragon hype. I've barely ever seen a Komodo dragon move. I was going to bring that up when you started talking about him. I think that it has to do with the folklore. It has to do with the 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 myth. I don't want to say mythology, but all the stories that go with it, the fact that it's the biggest, the fact that it has toxic spit and drool and how dangerous it is. And we had a lot of Steve Irwin with it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of vibe. And 
it's it's a legitimate dragon. And yeah, water monitors may get bigger. Croc monitors are longer. Croc monitors are infinitely scarier. But there's just something about them that it's a crowd pleaser. You know, people want to see it. I just it's I don't know, man. Dragon. I, I see them because like, Jacksonville Zoo had some. Riverbanks has some, and like you see them, and they're like, I mean, it's cool because it's a giant monitor. But like past that, I don't know. I just don't like people are always like, man, I wish I could keep those. And I'm like, why? Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that one. Like it does not appeal to me in the least bit. As I'd, a I'd keep a croc monitor before I kept a komodo. The croc monitor is clearly the superior lizard when it comes to that. I want to keep neither one because they're both terrifying. But thank you, thank you. I mean, croc monitor is a lot prettier, and I've actually seen croc monitors move. Which yeah. I mean, I wonder if part of that too is the fact that you know a, a komodo dragon still a giant monitor, and no one's really keeping them odd enough. Or, or just the fact that they're in a they're in a, an enclosure that's not you know twenty acres. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I bet they're way cooler to see out in uh, out in nature. Oh, they're actually sure. giving them room, but yeah, their metabolism is in full hundred percent. They're always on the go, always on the alert, always they're making sure each other, they're yeah, each other. yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, in captivity, they're just like, eh, I'm comfortable. I got fed, got some fresh water. I'm good. I just, I don't know. I mean, like, the younger ones are pretty because they still have pattern and color and stuff, but I just, I don't know. I see them, and I'm like, I, I have, they just don't do anything for me. I don't. I've been way more wild with every adult croc monitor I've ever seen than any adult Komodo uh, dragon I've ever seen. Let me put it this way. I have legitimately pet and interacted with adult Komodos. I do not do that. I won't do that with croc monitors. I think a lot of people won't after seeing what happened to Crutchfield's hand. Yeah. I have seen the skull. I've seen what their teeth look like. Yeah. That too. Speaking of skulls, gotta do Guatemalan beaded lizards. Oh, yeah. Gotta do it. Gotta have the big tree, the big big giant tree trunk and all the leaf litter and gotta do it. Faux show. Absolutely. Yeah. Those Yucatan rattlers would be cool too. Yeah, very much so. And ever so. the the bringing Curtis Azkaban ones. Yeah, and then you gotta have multiple different locality phenotypes of Temelipans, Crotalus murulus, like that, right up my alley. How about that freaking lutosis that the NPR boys saw? I know oh, cookies and cream. God. Cookies and cream. That's another one that I've never been like particularly wowed by, but dude, the pictures of that thing, I was like, okay, I think I, I yeah. think I get it now. Yeah, faux show. Like, oh, oh those, man, those are hot. You saw that Utah pyro, right? Yeah, that is that's a dream snake for me, man. That is a dream. Seeing the picture of them and Nipper in that like little gorge thing i've yeah. never been so jealous to not be on a trip dude just like, i know i want to hang I out know. with nipper man i know i was envious i told the boys i was like look man i'm i'm, I'm jealous but i'm super proud because they didn't get all the species they were looking for but the species that they did get definitely make up for one or two that they missed you know what i mean two in, a, in a day they saw two different gila monsters in a day Okay, well, don't don't ruin it for everyone. We have we have special privilege. 
Oh, oh, that's not allowed to be known. Oh, I don't okay. know. I just made, I made that up. <laughs> <laughs> I just figure for those of you who aren't in that group chat, you know what I mean. Oh, I, I was about to say I thought Julander posted that up. That's where I saw it from. Oh, okay. but I know they posted pictures of them. Okay, cool. Stone right. posted a picture of one earlier. So, d- disregard my statement. <laughs> but yeah, man, it, it, I'm very proud of them. Very, very proud. Can't wait to hear the episode. It'd yeah, be a pretty they, big exhibit. You got like a like a desert tortoise, some uh, some different like Dickersoni collared lizards, the blue ones. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Gila's, maybe a chuckwalla. You know, you could probably do a pretty good like uh, conflict-free desert enclosure with with several really really iconic uh, U.S. and Mexican species like that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You I mean, you, know, you may not want to mix the the Dickersoni in with any kind of uh, crotalus, but anything yeah, else. You could do you could do uh, a couple different lizard species, a tortoise, you know, or both both species of tortoise, right? Mm-hmm. And then you could also do like like a fake saguaro and have like little owls that live in the saguaro. Yeah, that would be so cool, man. Hopefully, the healer doesn't get the balls to climb up the cactus. <laughs> Coleonics. Coleonics. Speaking of, if you had like a night, a night building or something, that would be pretty cool. Absolutely. And there's some like I'd hit there. I'd say some scorpions and stuff, but no one would really see them. Well, you'd have yeah. to do. Yeah, you'd have to do the 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 invert room appropriately. You yeah, you do a night house, and then you could also do a UV light over the scorpions, so you could yeah. show off how much they. They light up in the the UV light. Yeah. yeah, I think technically, it's advised to not keep them under UV like that on a regular it, basis. It is. Yes, they will if they've hit their last instar, and that you burn off that that phosphorus that's under the exoskeleton. They they don't glow anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, disregard that. But uh... well, like what a lot of what a lot of places do is they'll have the black light on a timer. So like twice a day or three times a day, it'll turn on for like 30 seconds or a minute just so that people can see it, but it's not always on, you know, and I'm sure they rotate animals too. Yeah. I mean, just way, in general, you have to have uh, the ability to rotate them. Yeah. I mean, it's way easier to have 10 scorpions than it is to have 10 of the same snake, you know? <laughs> Oh, speaking of inverts, you got to have palmetto bugs. <laughs> you got to have real palmetto bugs in. Yeah, the big living, palmetto bugs. In, uh, in there's a, nothing more important than that. In a living real palmetto, a living palmetto bush. You know, you could even you can even have like put a pine snake in there or something, or put a, put up a couple pygmies in there, and have the palmetto bugs breeding and living in the bush. I think that'd be awesome. A whole room of Ranatomea. God, that all would the be so dark, loud. All the, <laughs> all the thumbnail dark species you can get your hands on. That'd be a very loud That's room. Really be it awesome. would be that bad. Some species are louder than others. The Vanzellini were were nice. Like they weren't super. They weren't like the Lukes. The Lukes were loud. <laughs> the Vanzellini just hear very faint, like. Every so often, it's really pleasant. 
I miss I miss my darts. You'll get them again. One day. Well, boys, looks like it's the witching hour. It's getting a little late. <laughs> when did you get back, on? Casey? Uh, yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I kind of had a crazy week last week where uh, I went last last Sunday. I went to Florida to drop off. I sold the skinks for everybody who's been following that. I uh, Not all of them. I still have a few, but I sold the, a big chunk of them to uh, Ron St. Pierre. So slowly whittling that group down. Uh, drove back and then went to Arizona from uh, from Friday to Sunday. So that was pretty cool. Very cool. Man, I was thinking about you because I went to PetSmart yesterday to get some. I was going to get some crickets, but they were out of stock uh, for the Ackies, so I ended up getting some wax worms. But they had a uh, for the first time. I've not seen these there, but they had a little baby blue tongue for sale. And that's I was cool. Like, looking at it, and I was like, okay. I was like, that's. I was like, yeah, I kind of get why Casey would be into those. Like they're they're neat. They're super cute, man. Be cool really if cute. they stayed that size. I feel like no one would care about them then. They'd just be another another little skink. Yeah, yeah. What color was it? If it was brown, it's a, it's an Indonesian import. Did you freeze? I think yeah. it was an Indonesian. It wasn't anything yeah. that stood out. You know, it was pretty standard brown, tan, and black. Yeah, yeah, some kind of little, probably a little Hamahara. They wanted like $250 for it or something ridiculous. Still cool. Still cool. I think Smitty's lagging. Yeah, he is a little bit. Yeah. You there, Smitty? Oh, Am yeah. Am cutting out again? He's definitely delayed. Yes, he is. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Casey, I glad... think my internet is struggling. Oh, yeah. Definitely struggling, brother. Casey, thank Mark you for Craig. joining us tonight. Polo. Yeah, had a really good time. Really good time. As always. Thanks for having me on. I guess I'll start wrapping the show up because it looks like Smitty's going to cut in and out. Um, thank you to all who partook in the group chat tonight. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure Smitty has something planned for Thursday. And, yep, we just lost him. I'm sure Smitty has something planned for Thursday. I don't know if it's going to be Corn Stars. I don't know if it's going to be THP. But stay tuned to the Herbiculture Network for more of our riveting content. Don't forget to go on to blackboxcages.com. Use code THN at checkout for 10% off, should you feel so inclined. And... Feel free to visit our friends in the Pacific Northwest, the Puget Sound Pythons. Oh, looks like Smitty's back. I, I just did the send-off, Smitty. L last comments? Rock and roll. So, yeah. Check them out. Blackboxgate.com, Puget Sound Pythons, Fulvius Apparel. Go check it out. The website's up. It is a beautiful, be beautifully orchestrated website with fine, fine products for our very particular unique community um, and a new episode of venom exchange radio is out now uh, nipper and i interview the one and only lou boyer from youtube so check it out talk about herping southeast asia 
finding sea snakes, finding Calliophus blue coral snakes. So yeah, Venom Exchange Radio, check it out. And uh, thank you all. Bye. Use the code LAUNCH at checkout on Fulvius Apparel. Get 50% off your order. Oh, yes. Launch, launch. Check it out. Buy the shirts. Buy the hats. My daughter again. Use the code.